Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The information contained on this platform represents the opinion of the host and shall not be understood, construed as or a substitute for medical or health advice. Please see a health professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. It's the Black Health 365 podcast, and we are here to make sure you look good on the outside and even better on the inside. After all, looking good, feeling good, and living a healthy lifestyle 365 days of the year should be a daily choice. Here at the Black Health 365 podcast, we will address the healthcare disparities within the Black community with trusted voices and information to empower a healthy lifestyle. Ain't that right, Britt? I'm talking about mind, body, and soul. Hello, 365ers, and welcome to another episode of the Black Health 365 podcast. Certified personal trainer and nutrition coach, Jackie Page, along with... Britt Daniels, your fit life coach and yogi of 365ers. It's great to be back here, and it is our mission to be champions of truth and change by providing y'all with personalized healthcare information and resources from trusted professionals. Y'all know we're here to empower the Black community to be to make healthier choices all year round. Um, so yeah, Jackie, I'm excited to get into this conversation. What's good with you? Listen, okay, can I tell you? <laughs> I got questions galore. But before we get to my questions galore and what we're talking about today, we got to do check-ins. It's something we do every week. And can I say I kind of stole it and I'm using it on my radio show? Okay, I love that. You seem like Jackie, what? (laughs) So I really enjoy, I really like that we do this every week. It's really been like a great thing for me. So I started doing it on my radio show a few months ago and I got a message from somebody in my DMs the other day and they were like, oh my gosh, Jackie, I love that you do the check-ins every morning. It's literally like one of the first breaks I do. I go on at 10 and it, like I said, it's one of the first breaks that I do. And they're just like, oh my gosh, Jackie, you know, we really love that you do the check-ins. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, this is great. So, you know, I think it is very important that you always check in with yourself. So 365ers, this is one of the reasons why we do this every single week is we want to make sure that, you know, you take some time to evaluate how your mental and how your physical and how your spiritual is doing because that stuff matters. And I don't want nobody to tell you that it don't because it do. So if ain't nobody else checking in on you this week, just know that me and Britt, we got you. So with that being said, Brit, how are you doing on this good day? <laughs> I have a little bit of a mixed feeling today, Jackie. As you know, I recently got back from my uh, spiritual sabbatical in Japan, which is a great time. But when you get back from a long vacation, you got to repick up momentum. Uh, running three different businesses, it can be a little tough. So it's a lot of emails I'm responding to right now. Um, but some good news. On the good news, I just became a Lululemon ambassador. So I'm really happy about that adventure. And um, I just signed a contract with Georgetown University to help um, this initiative where we're setting up personal training programs at black churches throughout the DMV. So basically men between 35 to 80 years old, we set up these programs where these men can um, basically help live sustainable lives. So that's really cool. Really be glad to be doing this community work. On the opposite end of that, uh, I'm hosting a retreat in Cabo, um, Mexico. 
And unfortunately, um, ticket sales haven't been going as well. So a brother, <laughs> a brother's going to be struggling in the pocket. But it's, 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 this has been my first year and a half in business, and I've been learning a lot of things. Um, and so I'm just excited to grow and figure out things. But if any of the 365ers are listening and are interested in a five-day meditation and fitness retreat in Baja, California, um, find me on Instagram at profitfitness.life. <laughs> Say your Instagram one more time, just in case somebody in the back was like, I ain't hear what he said. If you want to go to a retreat, five days, Mexico, June 3rd to 7th, profitfitness.life. I can stay care of. We have a good time. Jack, what's the noise? What's going on with you? <laughs> Come on, y'all. Help Britt out. Um, I'm good. I am at a pretty, I don't want to say, I don't want to say a stable state, but I, everything is pretty Gucci. Like, I don't, I'm not at a place where I feel like I need to run and get something else or I need to pull back on anything. I'm actually like really good. I recently um, got hired on at the YMCA as a group fitness instructor. So I'm back to teaching group fitness classes, which I have been like really trying to do since I moved to Atlanta. Um, but between the holidays and my dog passing, just really didn't have the the momentum or the inspiration or motivation to do it, but I finally did it. So I'm really excited about that. And can I add that I taught my first Zumba class on in six months on Sunday and <laughs> 365ers, I work out five times a week. But this, and it's been weightlifting. My cardio for the last six months has been like, walking on the treadmill, maybe doing a 30 minute hit class. It has not been 45 minutes to an hour of constant moving. And who this week has been like on my body? My body's been like, girl, girl, what you think you doing? That the 35 is setting. For the 365 that don't know, Jackie, you know how to move. I remember the first time I saw you in class, I was like, hold up. She know everybody need, everybody part need to be where it need to be when it happened. Like, yeah, you know how to get down. So that's, that's funny to hear you say that. It, um, it was weird for me to, it's been weird for me to experience this because in 365ers, it's something that when you don't do something for a while, your body will go through. So I was fully aware that it was going to happen. I just kind of forgot and thought like, oh, it's not going to be as bad as it was. No, it's bad. If you haven't done something in a while and you do it again, your body is going to respond to it because you're doing something your muscles, they haven't done. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I will move. I will shake. I will twerk a little bit. Like, I ain't nothing wrong with twerking. Okay, she would twerk. But yeah, baby. Transition this conversation, Jackie. Yeah, I know. I know dancing for you, Zumba is a, a way how you actually got into your life and career in wellness and fitness. And I feel like for you, you describe dancing as your way to feel seen and for you know your creative expression. And I think that's important. Uh, I think it's important, and it actually leads into our Dharma talk for today. So, three sixty fivers, if you're not familiar, we like to start these conversations uh, off with a Dharma talk, which comes from the East. It's a, basically a mini sermon to help set the tone for the conversation. And today's Dharma talk is about the value of living a life where you feel seen and heard in a sustainable way that reflects your values, both in body and mind. Um, and to give a little bit more context, a lot of my life as a black male, I didn't feel attractive. I felt invisible to the world and I put myself in environments and situations that um, weren't conducive to my well-being. And so my self-image uh, was poor because of that. And I gravitated negative and toxic energy to myself because of that. 
And so as you go through your, your healing, again, healing is a verb, you start to be more intentional with where you put yourself um, and how you surround yourself against other people. So it's important that you find something where you feel and do some, feel seen and heard. And for me, I'm glad I found yoga. I'm glad I found the fitness community because it's in this community, I feel seen, I feel heard, I feel valued, and I do things that supplement that, right? Um, so wherever you're at right now, are you doing something that makes you feel your most authentic self? Are you doing something that makes you feel grounded, 10 toes down in this reality, instead of just going through the matrix, right? Um, and if you don't know what that is, I encourage you to find external resources, whether that's therapy or whether that's a new friend or some type of healthy environment where you can discover that. Um, cause that's going to make you feel, that's going to make you feel good about yourself. That's going to increase your self-image, your self-confidence. And that's actually a transition to our conversation today. Body. Yeah. It's, um, a lot of, it's, it's a very big topic. Big very topic. big topic. Um, we have actually 365ers for the last few weeks been talking about body image when it comes to the black community. And it's only, and I don't want to say it's only right, but I feel like you can't have a conversation about body image in the black community and not talk about plastic surgery. Like it has literally been a hot topic over the last few years, especially with BBLs and body image. So with that being said, uh, we wanted to have this conversation today about plastic surgery in the black community. And we have two sisters, okay, two beautiful black sisters joining us today. They are doctors to talk about plastic surgery. Um, I have Dr. Aisha Barron, as well as Dr. Tomi Famalusi. Uh, how are you ladies doing today? Doing very well. Thank you. So happy to have you on. Both of these ladies um, are, like I said, uh, plastic surgeons. They work at Breast Body Beauty and Plast Breast Body Beauty Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery in Georgia, Marietta, Georgia, to be exact. I live in Atlanta, and when you talk about plastic surgery in the in the South, I feel like it's a big thing. So, ladies, let's just start from the top. What exactly is plastic surgery? Um, plastic surgery is basically, it comes from the Greek word, the root plastikos, which means to form or mold. Um, and what a plastic surgeon receives during the course of their training is basically proficiency in performing reconstructive procedures. And that can range from the head, you know, head and neck, cleft lips and palates. You may have heard of, you know, um, plastic surgeons repairing those in little kids. Um, we do traumatic uh, reconstructions after car accidents or even cancer reconstructions. Um, in addition to that, <clears throat> we do hand surgery. Um, not me particularly, <laughs> but um, also uh, cosmetic surgery. And so that's where all the buzz comes from is that, you know, we, we've been trained to do all these reconstructive procedures. And a large part of plastic surgery is actually not just restoring things after something has, you know, been gone wrong either during birth or even throughout the course of life, but it's also restoring things that a patient may not potentially like about themselves. Um, and so I think it's important to point out that plastic surgeons, real plastic surgeons that have uh, finished a accredited plastic surgery residency are 
really proficient in how to reconstruct things. So what does that tell you? If you end up going undergoing plastic surgery or cosmetic surgery, that no matter what happens, your plastic surgeon should be equipped to correct anything that potentially could happen in the form of a complication. And so that doesn't really happen with cosmetic surgeons, surgeons or surgeons who decide to just take a course one weekend and um, hang a shingle and say, oh, I'm doing cosmetic surgery now. So we are fully trained. Um, we've completed four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, and a minimum of six years of residency. So that's a lot of school. Um, but you know, we are equipped <laughs> and you know, in order to take care of, take care of patients' needs. So you just said, and I didn't know this was a thing, and this literally just like blew my mind. You can literally take a weekend class and call yourself a plastic surgeon. I mean, just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not trying to, but is that really a thing? Right. Like, there's so people who do have some physicians who maybe they're they've been working in OBGYN or family medicine or primary care, and they see how lucrative plastic surgery can be. Um, and so, some physicians will open up med spas and just stick to Botox and fillers and things like that. They'll take courses for that, you know. That's still kind of dicey. I don't really have a problem with that. The problem that I have with is where they may go and take a weekend course or shadow somebody and then start actually doing surgical procedures on patients. And so with some of the taboo that has come up with um, Brazilian butt lifts in which patients have been seriously, seriously harmed or killed, um, a lot of those patients are being treated by non-board certified plastic surgeons or the majority are surgeons who are not even real plastic surgeons um, and they're harming patients because they don't really have a true respect for the anatomy, um, you know, and they think that they could just walk in and do these procedures. So, um, so yeah, I know that's a mouthful <laughs> when it comes down to it. Absolutely. Dr. Barron, what I love that you uh, highlighted is that there is this cosmetic aspect of plastic surgery, which gets all the buzz, and then you have these corrective procedures, uh, which is so important for so many different types of people. Uh, you know, we, we think of plastic surgery on social media, we think of Dr. Miami, these BBLs and everything, but it's important that there's this other aspect of it, of people whose lives that could be permanently damaged if we didn't have these, uh, these medical procedures. I'm interested a little bit more in the history. I'm just thinking about 1950s, 40s. When did plastic surgery become the, a thing? Like, when did that start to happen? I think um, Dr. Famalusi here, plastic surgery has always, um, since the beginning of sort of surgical procedures, plastic surgery has always been something because whenever there was trauma and it actually grew out of a lot of um, during uh, war times, essentially. So when there was trauma along the battlefield and patients were left with really, really gruesome injuries, it was a surgeon that had to try and reconstruct that. So really the reconstructive aspect of plastic surgery is where the, um, the field grew. And from that, then the cosmetic aspect came. So I think most most people or the average person that has any sort of contact with plastic surgery in their lifetime is having contact with them it in a reconstructive aspect. Um, now that there's a lot more. Um,
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Sort of education and it's more sort of in the limelight. Um, it's easy to access a lot of information on your own. You Google social media, war travels very quickly. I think the cosmetic aspect of plastic surgery is now something that is available to a lot of people. I think in the past, maybe it was relegated to people with um, significant means. This was always something that was very expensive for people. Um, so now that it's something that a, a lot, the average person can really afford, I think it's, it's no longer taboo or no longer sort of set aside. And that really helped propel a lot of the cosmetic aspect of plastic surgery. Dr. Famalusi, when did it become such a big phenomenon in the Black community? Because, you know, you're saying it's always, it, it's been something that's been around for a while, but I feel like in the Black community, more recently than not, it's become a huge phenomenon. Yeah, I feel like in the early 2000s, you thought of plastic surgery was like, <laughs> um, or maybe, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, and and that's not necessarily wrong. I think there definitely were, um, people of color, Black people having plastic surgery in the past, I think it was just always something that people didn't really talk about. Um, so if plastic surgery is done well, no one's really going to know that you did something dramatic. You're just going to look a little bit different, a little bit better. People will sort of say, wow, you look you look great, but they can't really pinpoint what's done. And that's what great plastic surgery is. So I think it was, all, it was always sort of... Um, People just didn't talk about it because they didn't feel comfortable sharing that information. But I think um, nowadays we we live a very sort of open access, like share everything kind of um, for better or for worse. It helps a lot of people. So people are much more comfortable sharing various aspects of their lives. So that's more in the forefront now. Um, and I think that's why it seems like there's this huge trend and the numbers do support it because every year the number of black women, black men, people of color in general that are having cosmetic procedures, plastic surgery is increasing. Um, but I also think that part of that is social media, people being a little more aware of what's going on. And really, I think more importantly, people just realizing that there's there's nothing shameful about wanting to enhance something about your body if it's something that has bothered you for a while. Um, and if you have the access to do it and you find someone who can do it for you safely, there's there's nothing wrong with it. And I think people are just past the point of hiding it. You said men, Black men. Um, yeah. What are some of the common 
Because again, <laughs> when I think of plastic surgery, I think of women, breasts, BBLs, lips, yeah. men, black men. Men, black men, men, women. So yes, the majority of people who have plastic and reconstructive surgery are women, but the number of men having these procedures are increasing as well. Men also get um, non-surgical procedures. So Botox, filler, things like that. Men get liposuction, men get rhinoplasties, men get facial procedure, facelifts, facial procedures that help improve their jawline or their profile. So there's a whole host of procedures that are available to men in the same way that women might wanna enhance something about their body. It's also okay for a man to do that as well. I think it's just one of those things because breast and BBLs are at the forefront right now that when you think of some of the other type of surgeries that you just mentioned, those are things that are just kind of, they get forgotten about. Like I, you know, lipo or even like, you know, lip, those type of things I don't think about when it comes to plastic surgery. But to your point, they actually are procedures that a lot of people are getting. I mean, I haven't heard anybody say anything in a long time about getting their nose done. But as we're having this conversation, that is a form of plastic surgery. Yep. Now, I know y'all heard about Kanye West getting lipo, right? I was just about to say. I was, just, I was literally just about to say. <laughs> so I had to get lipo because y'all made me so um, and so, well, yes, yeah. men do too. Um, one of the common procedures that men um, probably, you know, black men, I, I'm not really sure if I can make that statistical, you know, um, point, but um, gynecomastia surgery. And so basically man boobs, you know, so if a patient has, um, you know, excessive growth, growth of the breast tissue, whether that's due to hormonal influences or due to um, being overweight or whatever, a lot of men will come in for contouring of the chest. Really? Have you had any guys come in for like ab to get the abs done? Because I've been seeing that a lot on social. Social media is showing to be all wrong with me today. But <laughs> yeah. anybody yeah. coming to do abs? Yeah, the ab etching I think is another trend that people like to do. Um, I don't like to personally to do like very defined ab etching to like etch out every like six pack. Um, I like to just highlight the main areas where the muscle groups are kind of naturally separated and that gives more of a natural athletic appearance, um, you know, just so that if the patient gains weight in the future or loses more weight, you're not left with this, you know, Lego looking <laughs> abdomen. Um, but yeah, you know, lots of patients, lots of men, uh, most of the men that I, I treat are ones who have had massive weight loss. So they've had um, weight loss surgery or they have lost like a ton of weight and they have excess skin, you know, so they'll have excess skin on the arms, on the thighs, on the abdomen. Men get tummy tucks too, but they just look different than a woman, a woman's tummy tuck. That's an excellent point to make. I'm thinking about a good friend of mine. Um, he was recently talking to me about getting lipo. And I want to ask the doctors if this information is correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. When it comes to lipo, I'm interested in what that process is like. Are you literally extracting the fat cells? He explained to me that fat cells neither, they don't go away when you lose weight. They either get smaller or bigger. And so in lipo, you actually remove those fat cells. Um, so that theoretically the fat never comes back to that specific location. Is, is that correct? 
Yeah, I think your your friend actually has done some research. <laughs> um, so yeah, fat cells don't multiply, they just grow or shrink. And so with liposuction, you're basically passing a cannula back and forth underneath the skin. So between the skin and the muscle, there's that subcutaneous fatty layer, okay? And so you have a cannula that's attached to a suction device or machine. And um, we basically, you know, make multiple passes back and forth in order to liposuction um, or lipo uh, or suck that fat out of different layers of the um, subcutaneous tissue. Um, and so if you are, you're essentially decreasing the concentration of fat in that area. And so if a patient were to gain weight um, after that procedure, it'd be less likely that they gain back or a significant amount in that area that was treated. Um, but it can happen. I've seen it happen. Um, it really just depends how much weight that patient has gained or in kind of how their body weight is, you know, um, deposited or, you know, com composed amount around their um, or on their body. You know, some people concentrate more fat on the hips, um, you know, or in the thighs or whatever. And so those areas are a little bit more stubborn. You might see fat cells or fat growth or proliferation after a procedure in those areas. And I most of the time noted, don't notice that unless a patient gains, you know, maybe like 20 pounds, 15, 20 pounds and, and upwards after a procedure. So random, um, let's say somebody has a procedure. Well, not really a random question, but again, social media is directing me today and it probably shouldn't, but you know, such is life. Um, I just think about like some of the women that I've seen with BBLs, um, you know, they get it at first. It's like, oh, it's so cute. And then over time, it's just like, girl, you've gained so much weight. Like what is going on? Like, is it because it wasn't done correctly? Like what is, what is causing that like, abnormal amount of growth with the, that BBL. I have a follow-up question with that too. And in, in your line of work for people who undergo these plastic surgery procedures, and this is the trainer coming out of me and Jackie, because we're personal trainers. Uh, we see people who get these surgeries, but don't upkeep their body with proper nutrition, with proper exercise. And so to, and I want to be careful with the language I use here, the bodies may seem perceptually abnormal to some people. Um, and so the follow-up question is in your profession, what conversations are you having with people? Perhaps, are you talking to a therapist? Are you talking with this person's nutritionist doctor? Do you have other conversations when you talk with your client? Do you navigate the conversations and what they want other professionals? Absolutely. Um, you know, to go with Jackie's first question, you know, as to why a patient might potentially, you know, look bigger, you know, sometime after a BBL, sometimes that tissue settles. And if you have um, a significant amount of fat, like say if they get a, I don't want to throw out celebrities, but okay, so K. Michelle, she had hers reversed, right? So hers was so big um, that she, it, she said it was preventing her from, you know, getting particular types of work. Um, and so if you have these exaggerated um, proportions, then that will stretch the skin. You know, the skin can only support so much um, and it will it will not age well with the patient. And so, you know, even though the patient may not have, you know, gained a significant, a significant amount of weight, gravity takes effect on all of that weight back there, you know? So I think that's something to consider, you know, when patients are considering procedures now that, you know, will this age well with me in the future? 
Um, and to go, um, Britt, with your question, um, we absolutely, you know, at our practice, stress that patients are adequately, you know, kind of screened for risks prior to surgery. Um, and a lot of what, you know, we do in our initial consultations, and Dr. Fam Lucy can probably touch on it, is, you know, talking to the patient and really kind of getting a sense of what their true motivations are for surgery. So while everybody doesn't need to like go to a therapist prior to going to, uh, prior to undergoing surgery, we kind of act in that capacity to really evaluate whether or not this patient is doing it for the right reasons. And I think it's oftentimes, you know, I tell patients a lot of times, no, you know, like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. I'll do this, you know, or not that, or I don't think we're a fit because our goals are not aligned. And so I think that's important um, you know, for patients to know that just as much as they're trying to choose the plastic surgeon, plastic surgeons should be trying to choose you as well as a patient, because I don't operate on everybody, you know, just for my sanity <laughs> and safety as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with um, Dr. Barron's comments. I think really just part of our training, we've also had years and years of talking to different patients that come in for multiple different types of procedures. And in that six to seven year training period, you start to see the different motivations that people have for looking for plastic surgery, whether it's some huge life event that just changed and now they're looking for something dramatic to sort of like complement that. So really a lot of what we're doing in that first consultation is trying to figure out what the patient actually wants um, because sometimes um, patients might say certain things and it's really up to you to ask the questions to figure out what the underlying story is and where they are mentally, where they are emotionally, are they actually going to be able to handle the recovery, not just from a physical standpoint, but also from an emotional standpoint. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Are they actually going to be able to go through that surgery appropriately and come out on the other side feeling as good as they felt beforehand? Because the last thing you want to do is operate on a patient and then they have uh, essentially like an emotional breakdown because it's surgery is a big deal, right? We do the operations multiple times a day, multiple times a month. But for each patient, that might be the one time that they have a surgical procedure. So it's up to us to let them know, to 
put some sort of gravity on the situation that this is important and we want to make sure that you're in the right space to be having this so if there's a lot of stuff going on in your family life do you so certain things like does this patient have a support system do they have someone supporting them in their journey that's going to walk with them throughout this operation so those are some of the things that we're trying to figure out are there underlying um, psychologic issues that we need to keep an eye out for that might create problems down the line. So all of those things are what we're sort of trying to suss out in that that 45 minute conversation with the patient when we meet them for the first time. And with that, we'll make our decision as to whether or not this is a patient that we think would be a good candidate for surgery, because it's not just being a good physical candidate. You have to be a good emotional candidate as well. And then um, as Britt, you mentioned, um, talking to patients about sort of how they're maintaining things afterwards. I think I heard Dr. Barron talk to one of her patients and um, make the analogy of you you buy a car and you maintain it. So it's it's sort of a, it's a similar, um, plastic surgery is it's an investment in yourself. And in the same way that when you invest in something, you wanna make sure that you're upkeeping it. Um, and so making sure to talk to patients that if you're gonna invest in this procedure, any sort of massive change in your weight, this isn't, plastic surgery isn't a magic bullet. It's not gonna solve all your problems. Um, so if you haven't made the appropriate changes in your lifestyle, you're gonna find yourself back where you started. And now you spent a lot of time, energy and money for that operation only to be back in the, in the same position. I have so much respect for both of you for saying this, that one, Dr. Barron, said you, you, you would deny clients who don't fit your values. In, on Black Health 365, we always talk about being advocates for our own health as Black people, especially in medical spaces. There's a lot of time in medical spaces, um, the, the other side doesn't treat us as well. And there's a history in that. And it's, it's endearing to hear that you have these ethical principles before you even engage with the client. That's that's really important. Have you ever had like somebody come in and you tell them like, no, I'm not gonna do this. And they like on you or like go <laughs> off because, and I say this because I love my people. However, I know how we can be. And when people are adamant and we're in the South, like let's be real. Um, when people like have in their mind that they wanna do something and they have the means and the money to do it, if somebody tells them no, they're not always the happiest person or camper um, when they hear no. So have either one of you ever had a situation where you're like, yeah, no. And they're like, blah, 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 blah. well, I mean, it hasn't been like very confrontational in that sense. But I, I distinctly remember telling a patient, no, she came in, had a BMI of, I want to say, almost 50 um, and was wanting liposuction, I think on like her thighs or something like that. And, you know, I initially, you know, talked to her about things and it was a lot of it was mainly education on that plastic surgery is not a weight loss surgery. Okay. It's not weight loss. Um, you know, it's not bariatric surgery, you know, like you have to go and get that and then you can potentially come to me for something. Right. But, um, 
it's uh it was an instance in which i told her i was like look you know i you know could take you back to the exam room but i'm not even going to do that because we have a consultation room where we'll see patients first i said you know i don't think you're a good candidate for surgery you really need to focus on your health and you know she got real snippety <laughs> was like um well what did i come here for and da -da -da -da, you know it just started you know just being just you know, just how people can be, you know, um, when, when, you know, how they are. And so, you know, just because of that, you know, I did feel bad for her because she thought that she was going to come in and get something, you know, and part of it is the expectation, oh, I'm going to come to this black doctor and they're going to be able to tell me what it is, you know, what, what I can have and, you know, can't have. Um, and for that reason, I just, I refunded her consultation fee. I normally do not do that, but I was just like, okay, I'm just getting you out of here. Like, you know, go ahead. And, but the thing is, is that I also told the patient, I really hope that you don't go somewhere else and get surgery, you know, because some people will operate on whoever they want to operate on. Okay. And so that's, you know, that's just not, you know, something that I want people to go out and do. I've definitely had similar situations, but I think more often than patients getting sort of angry and, um, uh, a little bit aggressive. I think most patients, when they get no, it's more of an emotional response. They get really sad, their tears involved, things like that. So oftentimes I think it's more sort of navigating that and just having some compassion for the person who came in and felt like they were going to get an answer to a problem that they've been dealing with for a really long time. And now they're hearing that, no, this isn't the fix. And what they thought was gonna be the easy fix is not the way. Um, so I just, I honestly try to come come at it from a place of, listen, I'm, if this was my family member, this is the answer I would give them. And similarly to Dr. Barron, I tell them, I'm like, there are people out there that will do this operation for you, um, but it would be a big mistake and you will likely have many issues after that. So really trying to explain to them that I'm not saying no out of a malicious place. It's actually because part of the oath that we take as doctors is to do no harm. So really, it's trying to explain to them that I'm saying no, because I'm trying not to do any harm. And I think once you explain that to most patients, they're disappointed, they're sad, but they appreciate that you are honest with them. I wanted to know why some people who get COVID-19 get it so bad. I found out it may be because they have a high risk factor, such as heart disease, diabetes, being overweight, smoking, and asthma. Even if symptoms feel mild, these factors can increase your risk of COVID-19 turning severe. So if you're at high risk and test positive, there are things you can do, like asking your healthcare provider if an authorized oral treatment is right for you. Learn about an option at treatcovid19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Thank you for sharing those experiences. I think it just really emphasizes that when it comes to cosmetic, I guess both all forms of plastic surgeries, it's an emotional decision. And then in your space as a professional, your job is to provide a safe, educated and ethical space for them to, you know, discuss that decision. As black women in this space, as plastic surgeons, and I'm interested in maybe if you know some of the statistics of black people in, you know, in this field, have you personally dealt with any difficult situations? Because on the outside looking in, I, I, I could be wrong. Uh, is, is it a white male heavy dominant 
profession? Medicine in general. <laughs> Medicine in general. Yes. Most industries are. Um, so yes, like there's, you know, there's been difficult situations in residency, even outside of residency as an attending, you know, you think you've made it and you, you know, you could practice how you want to practice. And there's still microaggressions that come about um, to where people will overlook you and, you know, pass you by and think that you're, you know, that you're a nurse or the housekeeping staff or janitorial staff, you know, that type of thing. Even when you have a white coat on with your name tag, you know, and badge there, it's, it's definitely possible for people to mistake you as, you know, someone else, um, even after residency. But yes, you know, plastic surgery is a definitely white male dominated, um, you know, and I think, you know, somewhat because of that, you, you know, you just roll with the punches and, you know, you have to be resilient, you have to be persistent, you have to be strong and firm in who you are and your training and your education, um, you know, and not let anybody question that. Yeah. Speaking of training and education, um, I'm actually interested to know how you both got into plastic surgery. I feel like it's not a one-off type of feel, but it is kind of a one-off type of feel, especially for Black women. Um, so, Dr. Barron, we'll start with you. How did you get into plastic surgery? Um, you know, Dr. Famalusi has heard me say this like a million times now, <laughs> but um, I was, um, you know, initially interested in OBGYN. I was president and vice president of like the OBGYN club at my medical school. Um, when it came time to do our rotations, um, my um, first um, rotation was surgery and I absolutely loved it. I, you know, said in my head, I have to do this all the time. And even though OBGYN encompasses some surgery, I was like, no, I need higher percentages of that. So I kind of looked into the different surgical subspecialties um, and landed upon plastic surgery and orthopedic surgery. Um, and so I ended up doing rotations in both fields. Um, and I just loved the operations, um, you know, of plastic surgery. And I also had one of the orthopedic surgeons, you know, during the operation that I was scrubbed on say, have you considered being a plastic surgeon? And I was like, well, yeah, sort of. And I was like, well, why do you say that? And he was like, well, the way you kind of hold the tissues and, you know, you kind of manipulate things, you know, I think you would be a really good plastic surgeon. And so, um, you know, I even prior to that, I looked into the subspecialties and did rotations. And I love the people. I love the surgeon or surgeries. I love the patients. You could be operating from head to toe on young to old patients. Um, you know, there's so much diversity within the field of plastic surgery that you can literally pick which aspect you want to, you know, do almost at any given time in your career, um, you know, and focus on that. And so um, I just, that's how I got into it and I love it. I made the, the one of the best decisions of my life, really. Love it. Dr. Uh Fama Lucy, how did you how did you get into it? Yeah. So before I answer that, I'm just gonna answer Britt's um question from earlier about sort of the statistics about um black people, black surgeons, or black plastic surgeons. So there are several thousand plastic surgeons in the country and less than three percent of them are black. So, and that is as of, I think, the 2019 statistics. Um, and then women, that's e Black women, that's even less. I think when I graduated 
um, there are still less than 100 Black female plastic surgeons in the country. And I think Atlanta probably has the highest concentration of Black female plastic surgeons. So one of the upsides to um, patient for patients in Georgia is that you get your pick um, when because it's not every not that you necessarily have your surgeon or your doctor has to be the same color as you, but you do have the luxury of having that option here um, in Atlanta or Georgia in general. So um, how did I get into plastic surgery? So I knew I wanted to be a plastic surgeon fairly early before I even started medical school um, because I'd made my decision up about being a doctor even earlier than that. I think I was one of those kids who was just like, I'm going to be a doctor. Um, and then being a surgeon, I knew that when I was in high school. And when I graduated, one of my friends from high school literally sent me a text and was like, I remember when you said it in the cafeteria that you were going to be a plastic surgeon and you did it. So things like that always feel really great. Um, but I think it was just similar to what Dr. Barron said, really just the creativity and the diversity that's um, inherent to the field itself. Um, you can operate on so many different parts of the body on every age group. And um, really, it's just the fact that you really get to connect with your patients, you really get to know them. And depending on what um, subspecialty within plastic surgery you choose, you can take care of patients from birth to adulthood. Um, so patients who have clefts, um, oftentimes they the parents are seeing the plastic surgery even before the child is born. And then they're born and they're having surgery and there are several different operations that they have throughout their lifetime that their plastic surgeon is doing. Um, so really it's this relationship that you can build with your patient and really you have such a profound effect on people's lives and not in the sense that you save their life necessarily. Although a lot of people will argue that a huge psychological change for someone can be life-saving, um, but really it's just how confident patients look when they they step out of your, your room. I remember I did um, an abdominoplasty on a woman who was, I think she was closer to 50-something, and then when she came back for her post-op appointment, she was wearing a crop top, and literally no one could tell her anything and she was so like it was just the energy that she had and i don't i don't know that i would have found that in any other field and i think that that's what's so special about plastic surgery yeah i love it yeah. i i have to ask real quick because i know you're from up north mm -hmm. um being new to the south do you <laughs> do you see more plastic surgeries here or up north or would you say it's been about the same i think it's the same people want plastic surgery everywhere you can go to alaska you can go to people want and um as long as there's a plastic surgeon nearby um people want different things done um i think they're different um i don't know i don't want to call it trends but they're certain looks that are more common in different parts of the country. Um, so I think body contouring and having like a fuller, like lower. McDonald's is not new to chicken. 
So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Um, fuller figure, um, BBLs, things like that might be more common in the South because that is what seems to be attractive to people in general um, in this. And I could be wrong about that, but I think that is a little bit different than maybe up in New York where, where people are, are more into like a slimmer figure, but with larger breasts. Or if you go to California, it's very large breasts and so there's a different look everywhere you go. Um, so I think that's really just what changes, but there's plastic surgery happening everywhere. And yeah, I trained, I trained yeah. in Texas and every they say everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> so huge breast implants, huge everything like, yeah. you know, so yeah, it's definitely regional. Yeah, it's regional for sure. And it's honestly, plastic surgery is, extremely common throughout the world mm -hmm. um some yeah. of some of the um most like renowned plastic surgeons are in countries like um south korea or in brazil colombia mm -hmm. they're all over the all over the world so i was just speaking, about to ask that question i know i think we i think we got the same question. question already um speaking of you know it being uh, an around the world type of thing have you ever had to correct somebody else? And I don't want to call it a mistake, but have you ever had to correct somebody else's work? Let's say somebody went overseas or maybe to California mm -hmm. and it just didn't do the way it was supposed to? A lot of people yeah. are doing it because I, I assume because it's cheaper. Yes. So they call it medical tourism. Um, you know, patients will go overseas, most commonly Dominican Republic, um, you know, I guess Colombia is one one location, um, but you hear a lot of people going to the Dominican Republic, um, you know, for uh, plastic surgery. There are great surgeons there, um, but even just like here, there are these centers in which they just, you know, want to do high volume surgery. And so um, some patients, you know, they are just meeting the surgeon for the first time. Sometimes there can be a language barrier um, in which, you know, what you think that you're potentially getting, you might not be getting, you know, and vice versa. Um, and so, yes, I've seen patients come back from, you know, Dominican Republic, Mexico, um, you know, Colombia, places like that. And um, they've had complications. I've had patients who have had, you know, dead skin after a tummy tuck, um, you know, really bad infections. Um, 
you know, one of the things is that even though things, you know, you have to wonder if the, not wonder, but have to make sure that the sterility is the same. Um, but there are some types of bacteria that are endemic to certain areas and they might be resistant to antibiotics. So if you go overseas and do, um, you know, and get breast implants or something like that, and come back with a rip roaring infection, it's going to be super, super hard to treat. Um, so, so yes, I definitely have had to correct or treat um, individuals who have had surgery overseas, um, you know, but sometimes that, you know, deters them. I've seen people even go back afterwards, even after having a complication, because they just see this low dollar price tag and they think it's worth it. But I mean, it's not, they end up spending so much more money, um, you know, having to get something corrected by me over here, um, you know, and it's not something that I like to do. Most of the time I don't do those accept those patients into the practice sometimes it just happens that a patient may come in while i'm on call in the hospital and so that's that's when i have to treat them because i'm on call you know but um i think a lot of plastic surgeons ha are trying to discourage patients from um you know thinking that okay if i go over there and have surgery i could just have somebody over here take care of me because that's not the case Dr. Famalusi, have you had to do any corrections? Yeah, definitely. And I think, especially even in New York, throughout training, you see patients come from go to go all over the place to have surgery. But like Dr. Barrett said, sometimes they're not coming from overseas. Sometimes they're coming from Miami. Sometimes they're coming from they're coming from right here in Atlanta because they went to some discount plastic surgery um, location. So. Honestly, I think what I tend to tell patients, I'm like, I'm all about a discount, but you can't discount your life. You can't discount your health. You can't discount your body. Um, so people just really have to think about what is important and what is my life worth. And yes, there are many people who will go and will get the surgery and they'll be fine. But are you willing to take that chance because you're looking for a good deal? I think also... There's something to be said for having a relationship with the person who's going to, one, put you under, well, we're not putting the patients under general, general anesthesia, but who's going to be sort of taking care of you when you're in such a vulnerable state, who's going to be making incisions on your body, who's going to be seeing you in a way that many other people in your life and in the world won't see you in that sort of position. So there's something to be said for having a relationship with that person, meeting that person, knowing that person, deciding that you trust that person enough to, to give them this sort of power um, and also being able to have that afterwards, right? So if you go overseas or you go to, to Miami or elsewhere to have these procedures, you really, you, you're probably not gonna see that doctor again in your post-operative period. So if you have a problem, it's not as easy as calling them and scheduling an appointment and going to see them and driving 30 minutes down the road. Really, it becomes then you're sort of shopping around for someone who here or in your neighborhood who's willing to take on that burden. And it ends up being a burden to that other surgeon, right? They have no idea what, what was done. And now they're trying to pick up the pieces and do their best to take care of you. And oftentimes these patients are really angry and they're upset, they're embarrassed because they made this decision. And that's a lot for the surgeon to then try to deal with. So I think I understand when, when 
a lot of people will say, I, I don't want to take care of those patients. I think because plastic surgery is one of the few parts of medicine where we can make a decision not to treat someone. Wow. I think that's that's really a what's your 365, 365ers. If you are someone considering plastic surgery, if you have a family member, a loved one that's considering plastic surgery, is the doctor they're seeing doing, do, does that doctor have your best interests? Are they asking these ethical questions? Um, and being an advocate for yourself, you need to have these the right questions. You need to understand the circumstances of your life. Is this best for you? And I actually want to add a, a piece to that and say, do your research. A lot of times we don't do our research. We just go off of what our mom or our best friend said. And there's nothing wrong with that in certain situations. But when you're talking about your body, your health, your life, you need to do the research. And, you know, going off of what somebody says isn't always the best thing. Do your research when it comes to your body, your life and your health, because it literally could be the difference between life and death. Yeah, very important. Very, very important. Well, to close out this conversation, I feel like this conversation could keep going on and on. I got so many technical questions about silicone versus new procedures <laughs> that you people are using to enhance themselves versus people down in South America injecting oil into their biceps mm -hmm. to get these really uh, interesting looks. But um, well, hear, hear back from the 365 community and then you could always bring us back and we can answer, you know, pointed questions if, if uh, you guys will have us. I'm just going to go ahead and say we're going to go ahead and just make a part two because <laughs> Britt got more questions. I got more questions. And I'm sure if we both got questions, the 365ers got questions. So if anybody wants to reach out to you respectively before we bring y'all back on, uh, where can they find you both on social media or where can they contact you? So the name of our practice is um, Breast Body Beauty Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery in the Metro Atlanta area. Um, you can give us a call at 678-540-1144. Our Instagram page is Breast Body Beauty, um, at Breast Body Beauty. Um, my personal page is Breast, the letter N, Body Doc, um, and Dr. Fam Lucy. And my Instagram page is very easy, at Dr. Fam Lucy. Right. We are also on, you know, um, TikTok and um, Facebook. Um, so you guys can hit us up there. But if you want to just send an email, info at breastbodybeauty.com. Doctors, thank you both so much for coming and dropping all the gems because whew, this guy, this guy intense, which, and it wasn't a bad intense, but it just goes to show you like how big of a thing like plastic surgery has become not only in like the world, but also in the black community. And it's one of those things that we're talking about, but we're not really, really talking about because the questions are real and we have more questions. So 365ers, hold your breath. Okay. We bringing them back. Okay. And I said what I said, listen, if you have questions or concerns about anything, if there's anything 365ers that you want us to address, Instagram, hit us up in them DMs. Black Health 365. You can hit me up personally at Love Jackie Page. Britt, where can people find you at on social? You can find me on all social media platforms at profitfitness.life. Remember, 365ers, it is your responsibility to be an advocate for your health. And we are champions of truth with these trusted professionals. Peace, namaste, and love. Adios.
Black Hill 365 is an Urban One and Reach Media production hosted by Jackie Page and Britt Daniels. Created by Samuel Tatum and Laura Lopez. Executive produced by Brittany Jackson and Kadisha Campbell. Editing and production, Jahi Whitehead. Sales and corporate sponsorship, Patty Johnson.